village and guide it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Okay. Who's ready for today? Come on. It's going to be good. Um, it's always freeing. You, you feel, if you've ever been up here, there's like so much potential to feel pressure. Um, it's just always freeing. I, I honestly find the day before or often just in a time of prayer, just God releases you as a son. Um, and so I'm not here to impress you. Um, I hope I don't. I hope Christ impresses you. Um, and so we, we're just going to be exploring his word. If, if you haven't been here, or just as a means of uh, a bit of a recap, um, we've been going through the book of Romans, um, and it's been incredibly challenging um, and also really life-giving. We're doing uh, like a, a super speed tour through Romans. Um, there's uh, like people that, that really know how to preach. We like toddlers. Um, they preach through this book over like a year, year and a half. Um, but it's, there's just so much depth to this book that's just like insane. And I would really encourage you, what, what gets spoken about here is like the tip of the iceberg. And God wants to do so much more um, in you as you just like explore the book. So, so press in. Um, but so Romans, Romans 1 to 11, the first 11 chapters of Romans are very much a depiction of our vertical relationship. It's, it's realistically, it's speaking about our relationship and how we relate to God. And so it unpacks loads of different things. It unpacks our human condition of sin. Um, it unpacks our desperate need for God, our, our inability to meet the law's requirements in a new way uh, through faith that's apart from our works, his finished work. And it just, there's this really glorious picture. There's these deep truths of like sovereignty and free will and human responsibility and bringing the good news. And there's all these things. But uh, there's a shift in chapter 12 where what, what we've learned horizontally, we now start to spread uh, vertically, we, we start to spread horizontally. And so he goes into how does this actually affect not my relationship with God, but how does my relationship with God start to impact my relationship with other people? How do we as a church function? How do we uh, thrive in, in an environment like this and outside of a church? How do we function in the world? Um, and so chapter Chapter 12 is, is really good about just like the body, the giftings, how we, how we uh, love well. Um, there's just so much overcoming evil with good. Uh, Romans 13 about our submission to authorities and about the debt of love that we owe. Um, and so we come to Romans 14, um, which speaks about the weak and the strong. Um, and I love, love this passage. I really feel like God's uh, going to do something with us. But uh, we, there's, there's this shift into, into this horizontal. And I think there's two foundational things that I want to get out the way before we dive in. First thing is, is we often, uh, maybe it's just Western society, but I think in general people, we, we think of the church as a model society and we get really disappointed and disillusioned when we're in a real church. Because it's not a, a not not a model society. It's not a theater of good people. It's actually very much the opposite. Uh, and so we need to redefine our definition of church as not model beautiful people, and we're coming to just gather as people that have it all together. But rather a hospital where we get a lot of people that are sick. And what God does is He shows us that we're diseased. And so we as diseased as the people outside 
not there, but God reveals something, we get diagnosed, and we start on treatment. And so he's healing us, but we're still a broken people. Um, And that's super important for us to understand when we start to get into our horizontal relationships, our relationships with people, because most, so many people run away from the church because they get saved and they're like, things are going to be so good. And then people in the church hurt them and they're like, what happened to God? Like, where's God in all of this? And he's right there. They're just as broken as you are. Uh, And so we need to learn how to relate in this space and learn to love each other in the midst of disappointment and disillusionment and feeling like that we've got this massive tension of like, whoa, God's so amazing. And look, Willem's next to me. Like, that's the reality of it. (laughs) Willem, he's got a soft spot. We're driving back from the men's men's social and he was like, you guys always, like, lucky I'm so thick-skinned because you guys always just go at me. Um, but realistically, what Willem really wants is a stroke. He wants empathy. Um, and so <laughs> uh, the, the kindest thing that I can do, if, if I just pat his back, Willem, you can come back. I'll, I'll, I'll give, if I just pat his back, it's just me. But if I shame him here, there'll be at least 20 people that will pat his back. And so it's really a loving thing. Yeah, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Um, yeah, we do love you, Willem. Honestly, um, Willem is such a such a blessing to this body. I'll say it. Say it honestly. Um, you, yeah, no, no. Uh, if actually, Ben, if you can pause the recording, we need to be very careful. He's, he's yeah. Let's not let him listen to it multiple times. Yeah, bro, your heart of generosity. Uh, is so encouraging. We, oh, there we go. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. That was all I had to say. No, <laughs> we moved into this country with very little, and Willem didn't have that much more. But they were so both Willem and M just blessed us and blessed us, and always thinking of how he could give something else to to me. And it's just honestly, your heart. It's it's such a depiction of God's heart, and that's all you're getting, and that's all you're getting for today. Um, Okay, so the church is full of broken people, right? Second thing that we need as a foundation to to understanding what we're going to speak about today is the church exists in a cultural context. The church doesn't just pop out into a completely neutral ground. It exists in a specific place. Like when when I'm speaking not global church, I'm, I'm speaking about the body right here. We're not like in heaven now. We, we are existing in England as a country. Um, we exist in a specific time in this. And so we come into a cultural context and we need to be very aware of the fact that, that we exist here and there's ways that we're going to function um, that are important. There's this tension because we bring in a kingdom culture, but there's also a culture that we're in. And so there's certain things that we need to be countercultural on and there's certain things that we need to actually say, this is the culture that I'm reaching into and I need to uh, not dull down on certain things and this is where we'll go into today. But there's also things that I need to be wise. How can I reach into people's hearts? How can I uh, make an impact into this culture? Because if I bring my South Africanness into here, there's benefits of that 
but there's also downsides to that. And, and we could try and just create a whole little tiny bubble of South Africans, but that's not what God's placed us in this country for. He's placed us here to bring revival where we are in the culture that we're in in this time, not to create a little bubble of Christians that, that want to huddle over there. Um, and so those are two foundational things. So we're going to jump, jump straight into Romans 14. Um, help if I had my Bible the right way around. Um, it's a good start when it starts upside down. Um, so if we can pop uh, Romans 14, uh, we'll start off with just verses 1 to 4. We're just going to see, I, I don't expect that today is going to be very long, but I'm, um, I'm aware that, that things can change. So we're just going to see how far we get into it. Um, but it says this, uh, oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. I was like, sure, that is not how I normally remember it starting. It's like, this is, this is very good, but this is quite challenging. Maybe I got a different translation. Um, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Can you say disputable? disputable. Come on, this is good. I'm not normally a say after me kind of guy, but it feels good. Um, what, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man's faith, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Can you say vegetarians are weak? Yeah, yeah, amen. No, no one's saying that. Okay, that is heresy and I repent. But I just thought if there would be anyone that repeated after me, then I could just bring judgment straight here. Uh, but you guys all, all laughed and no one really said it as far as I could see. There were potentially a few people that said it in their heart. Um, uh, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So I joke, I joke about the, the vegetarians. Uh, how often do we take a verse... You look at verse 2 and you say, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And we completely ignore that in the verse before, it's speaking about uh, uh, disputable matters, and it says, accept him. And in the verse after, it says, uh, you must not look down on the one who does not and the one who does. We just completely, we take one verse and we like build our whole theology on an issue. It's not just about this. We can laugh about this, but we do it with all sorts of other things. And so being very careful with the fact that we can just pick a verse and completely ignore its context. Sometimes we're not going to be so lucky and it's not going to be in the verse before and verse after. But it's very apparent in this verse that you could take something out of that verse uh, that's completely, it's actually in the complete opposite direction to what the passage is saying. And we can build our whole theology around something like this. Um, but anyway, so we, we, um, we're not speaking. One thing we're not speaking about yet, speaking about those who are weak and those who are strong. We're not speaking about different levels of Christianity. You're not like a level four Christianity if you eat meat, vegetables, level three. Like That's not what he's speaking about. He's speaking about weak and strong. And, and it's very interesting the way that, that he does this is he, he opens up um, topics of open-handed, so disputable matters, and closed-handed issues, non-disputable. So, so if you've been part of the partnership course, if Willem did his job, 
variable, um, then you should understand the principles. Um, it was, it's low-hanging fruit. Um, uh, you should understand those. If you haven't, basically closed-handed issues, sorry, bro, um, are, are just issues that are foundational to our faith and very clear in Scripture. These are non-negotiables. There's no, no movement on here. It's foundational to what we believe. And open-handed issues are the rest of the things, which it's important to recognize that open-handed doesn't mean without consequence. It doesn't mean that these are things like, who cares what you believe? No, the church has a stance on all the open-handed issues, um, and we believe them for a specific reason, but they're open-handed. To close our hand on them would be, would be uh, wrong. We'll get into that. Um, and and uh, the other thing to understand with them um, is in my notes, and I shan't remember it, but there is another thing that you should understand about them. Um, but yeah, there's two things, and I know one of them currently. Um, uh, so we'll get to the, it'll pop, I hope it'll pop into my head, and you'll just be like, where are you going? My notes, normally I have a few words on my notes. This is underprepared, so I've got lots of words, and so I might, might lose track. Um, no, so uh, le- the, the thing that's, so let's think of open-handed issues. It's kind of like, um, first one that I would say is foundational is the word of God is inspired by God. We believe that it's infallible. This is God's word, uh, and so what we do is we don't raise our emotions or our feelings about something over what this says, and we don't uh, interpret this through our reasoning and dismiss things based on what we think is reasonable. This takes priority, and our reasons and our feelings and everything else submits under this, and that's foundational because most of our other closed-handed issues are very dependent on what we know from Scripture. And so if we disagree on that, then a whole number of things open up because then what are we actually resting on? Anything, we, we can just open up and we can just shut down. Well, actually, that's cool that Romans 1 speaks about that, but I don't really believe in Romans. And, and then, well, what are we actually doing here? Like speaking, is it just fun? Are we just having debates? No, God's speaking to us through his word. Um, so that's a closed-handed issue. Jesus is the son of God. It, like, the, if we were to, if you come to me and say, Jesus is, is a really good prophet or a good moral teacher, I would say, no, because I know that the word is God's inspired word, he claims to be God. And so you don't have the room to make a statement like that. That's closed-handed. He's the son of God, um, or he's not. And then that opens, opens up. He's either a liar or a lunatic. Uh, that, those, are, those are your options. So um, uh, there's closed-handed issues. Open-handed issues, Bible translation. Luke, this is just for you. Luke would love, I love, uh, uh, very tempting to just whip out the message here and just preach from the message because I know it would, there's, there's people here who would love to, it just like their muscles cringe when it starts to come from there because we want to close our hands on something that's open. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming, um, but, but we would love, I, I know Dill will, will have, have a good go at me, but it's an open-handed issue. Um, and what legalism does is we want to take what's in an open hand and we want to close our hand on it. What's very interesting is Paul, in this passage, he depicts the weak as those who are legalistic, who close their hand on open-handed issues. 
Um, and that's, that's really challenging because those are the people that we often think are very strong. Those with really firm boundaries. We close our We've got like all these things structured. And he says, man, that's, that's weak. Um, and, and it's challenging. I'll open it up more. And, and it's very challenging because I'm, I'm that guy. Uh, I, I close my hands on lots of things. Not necessarily for other people. But I'm kind of like, there's an element of, of just like, oh, well, like, I mean, yeah, you can, you can keep your hand open on that, but I, I have a revelation on this, and I'm pretty, like, set on it. And, and there's uh, not a vulnerability or teachability to that. So I'm preaching to myself, and God's speaking to me, but we love to close our hands on open-handed issues. And the problem with this um, is it doesn't produce unity. What, what it produces is uniformity. Uh, and so when you walk into a church and everyone looks the same and speaks the same and we're all reading the same Bible translation and we're all doing the same, we all worship in the same way, no one's uncomfortable by someone waving a flag at the front and, and all of that. Like The problem with that is we've probably closed our hand on loads of things and we all want to be the same person. The problem with uniformity is that no one person can portray the picture of Jesus. And so when legalism comes in, we try and reform society. We make things all about us, and we try and make everyone like us. And the problem is they're not meant to be like you because you're probably wrong. If, if, when, when, we, when we get to that point, if you're vulnerable enough before God, you'll realize, I don't have it all together. And so if I make people just like me, they're going to become like me, not like Christ. And that would be such a shame. You know, one of the most beautiful things about Romans 12 is that we are body, and there's so many different expressions of what Christ looks like. And when we make a uniform church, Ta, ta made us um, Tagliatelli Alfredo, Alfredo Tagliatelli, whatever. He made us a pasta dish last night. Um, and so he put in lots of things. There's cream, there's ham, there's uh, chicken, mushrooms, uh, some mascarpone, Tagliatelli. It's a nice meal. When we produce, what, what we try to do with legalism is we want to try and make a meal, but we want to just, no, we don't really need all of those things. Let's just make pasta. And we, we just, uniformity breeds just, just dull meals. But actually, what God calls is not, he calls for unity, flavors working together, creating a beautiful thing, as opposed to um, just one thing. We're trying to paint a picture of God who's so much bigger than one expression. Uh, and so when we start to, pull the reins in and close boxes on everything, we start to limit our expression of who Christ is. Remember, in the context of disputable matters. We're not, not opening up um, more than that, and, and we'll move into that to, to deal with me gently. Um, the danger of this that he points out is judging. So when, when we're in a legalistic spirit, when those who are weak in faith, their risk is that they're going to be judging other people because they've closed their hand at hands on things. Um, the, if you think about the weak, who's, who's the weak? The young, the diseased, the, the, those that are malnourished. In, in the Bible, the young in faith are weak. They're vulnerable uh, to things. Uh, those who are diseased, I would say you're diseased by legalism and liberalism, um, are two, two things that infect our way of thinking. Um, and the malnourished are malnourished. They're not edified by good teaching. Those, those are the people that are weak. Um, and, and then he comes into the opposite, he would say, the strong. Um, and this he speaks about those who are able to act with freedom, with liberty. Um, this is not the same as liberalism. 
um, and, and there's an important distinction there. So uh, I was reading up Oxford's dictionary defines freedom as the power or right to act, speak, or think as you want uh, without restriction. So that's the world's definition of freedom. And it sounds great. The only problem is it's not. You, you could think that that's an element of freedom. The problem is I think that's very warped because your freedom starts to then impinge on someone else's freedom. Um, and so there's, there's quite a lot of tension there. And you see that in like the sexual revolution. It's like I can do whatever I want with my body. Well, the problem with that is that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. You, you, you don't see the, the end results of that. One of our neighbors was uh, like on drugs, and you're like, yeah, you, you're doing all these things. Like, uh, freedom is me being able to do whatever I want. The problem with that is that you're not actually free. You're just a slave to your wants. Like, in reality, that's, that's a flawed definition. And so there's going be, gonna to be flaws uh, to all of it, but... I would argue that, that that definition of freedom is liberalism. But there's a different definition that he's speaking of when he says those who are strong in faith, and that's liberty and freedom. Um, I thought of uh, a way to uh, kind of explain it, but, but basically, Carl, are you, are you free? Um, I'll get you. Can we turn the piano on? Um, so it's the ability to do what's right and loving. Um, uh, it's... Freedom is the ability to do what's right and loving, irrespective of what I want or, or, or think, the, the ability to do what's right. And so uh, I believe freedom is a reordering of our desires, and it's actually an ability so, to submit my will to God's will. Um, we're always a slave in some manner. We're either going to be a slave to our own wants and our own desires, or I'm a slave to God, which I find far more freeing when you understand it. And so I'll explain it like this. Um, so I'm, I'm going to play the piano for you. I do know how to play more chords. Is it, is it fine? Are you going to... You have to go to the loo. That's disappointing. That's fine. Just, just, just very quickly. Levy. Okay. I'm just going to... So I'm free to play whichever keys that I want to. It's fine. I, I can do it without you. It just sounds glorious when it's not. Um, uh, so I have the freedom to play whatever key I want. Does it sound nice? Well, that's offensive. Yeah, thank you. You're only my... No. So it doesn't sound nice. Why? Because freedom without some form of restriction is chaos. But when there's freedom, Carl can come up here and I can say, can you play something in the key of C? And he can free run and play whatever he wants in the key of C. He has the freedom to play whichever notes he wants within that key, and it sounds glorious. But the problem is we, we want freedom to be whatever you want to do. It's do whatever you want to do. No one can judge you. There's this, that's our, our modern Western liberalism. Just do whatever. That, I, I would argue that's not freedom at all. That true freedom is being able to act in a way, there's, there's boundaries. When, when we understand true freedom in marriage is that I can, there's, there's sex within boundaries. It's a healthy form of relationship. There's a freedom that brings life. In the sexual revolution, there's a freedom to do whatever you want, but the fruit of it is death. 
And so we need to uh, realize, so the weak in faith are often those who are legalistic and want to close their hands on things. The strong in faith are not, not necessarily liberalism, means taking what's closed-handed and open, making it open-handed. What, what the strong in faith who live in freedom or in liberty are those who are able to live well in their convictions of what God's called them to, they, they uh, don't feel the need to, to hold a line. I'll, I'll try. It's, it's hard to explain without examples, and so I'll give examples to, to give a, a better idea of it. Um, but the danger of those who live in liberty uh, is, is content, contempt. And so we, we look down on those who don't live in the same freedom as I have. Um, there's loads of examples. I think of, uh, like for me, uh, one thing was my, my sister-in-law, really an anxious person. And so I'm naturally not very anxious. And so when we were driving through the lakes and we're driving around these corners and it's quite stressful because it's like all lakes district, very narrow roads, and you're just coming around a corner and anyone could be there. She would like put her hands on the dashboard every time we went around a corner. And she's like really wrestling. And my reaction to that is like, man, don't be so stressed. Like I'm showing contempt to her. Um, not because of anything I've done. I've done nothing to become a non-anxious person. That's just who I am. Um, and she's uh, actively working on that. But my temptation is to look down on her for what she's processing. But she could be being more faithful with her weakness than I could be with my strength. Um, and so it's important to recognize there's, there's lots of things. Like preaching at Tyre. Uh, I'm in a cultural context. I come here. Um, I've... I want to dress. I can come here and preach in whatever I want, but I want to dress well because that's appropriate for the culture and the people that I'm reaching. If I go to Durban and I preach, I'll probably preach in slops and shorts because that's comfortable and I love it and it's freeing, but it's a different cultural context. Uh, and so uh, I may be comfortable with the fact that I could preach in whatever I want uh, and God still delights in me, but when I come here, uh, I've got to be sensitive to the fact that someone else might not be so comfortable with that. And so I'm strong in my conviction about God is, is still honored whether I'm wearing slops or not, but other people might find that offensive. And so they might be weaker in their faith um, in that sense, and I might be stronger. But how God's less concerned with our conviction about that and more concerned about what we're doing with our conviction. Um, uh, so uh, there's that. I mean, there's there's so many uh, examples. We we used to minister in like we used to do yearly mission trips to Malawi, and so uh, the ladies there, whenever we would do ladies ministry, they had to cover their shoulders and they couldn't show their ankles. Um, it's boiling hot there, so that's that's uh, sometimes very hard to do. Um, but they would dress appropriately, not because they had a deep conviction that their ankles were very seductive, but because the people there might be offended. And if there was an opportunity for the gospel to spread, uh, I would much rather step back from my conviction and operate in love towards someone else than hold to my strong conviction. I don't think God's concerned about my ankles showing, hence they're showing. Um, I know, right? If you have... You can, you can speak to me about that. Um, but, but that's my conviction. And what I do with that conviction is what honors God or not. Okay, so do we understand weak and strong a little bit better? Um, 
And I think there's a really, really good key. I'm, I'm going to touch on it a little bit later, but it's at the end of verse 3. It says, um, uh, the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. I think there's such a key in the fact that God is accepted. When you look at Acts 10, uh, Peter's never preached to the Gentiles, and God gives him a vision, um, and the just of it is he says, do not call something uh, impure that I've made clean. Um, and so we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more, but we're going to continue on um, to verse 5 through to 8. It says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced. Can you say fully convinced? That's good. In his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's an incredibly, if you think he's just speaking about food here, that, that kind of breaks that. He's not, not really that interested in our, in our dietary practices as much as he is interested in the heart posture with how we're honoring people with our convictions. Um, and and that thing about acceptance um, is really, really challenging here. So the two things I thought of was we need to check our conviction. So we need to be fully convinced uh, I think often we can live on, in autopilot and we just get raised up in something and that's kind of the way we do it. We need to be fully convinced. Some, something that I find very life-giving is actually researching the opposite to what I'm convinced about. So if I'm convinced on a specific way of doing something, actually looking at a different way and saying, could I be wrong? Like, is it, is it that hard to believe that you might be wrong on something? And, and is it going to hurt you that much to hear the other side of the argument and actually say, is there something you could teach me? Or is there something, even if I'm not wrong, is there something I could learn from a different view on this? Um, and so check your conviction. And the second part is check your heart. He says there, to the Lord, like three or four times. What's, what's your reasoning? What's your heart behind what you're doing? Are you doing it to the Lord or are, are you doing it for other reasons? What's your conviction about? Um, uh, and so I believe a, a big key in, in the way that we relate and the way we handle our convictions is actually in the fact that we accept it. I think a lot of our um, division that we have over matters, a lot of um, our, our fighting over, over these things is actually a fighting for acceptance. We want to put boundaries on things to try and make people agree with the way that we do things. We want, in legalism, we want everyone to come to our understanding and come under and be reformed and become like us. And in liberalism, we just want to, we, we want, we're looking for acceptance in, in all these different things. And I think a key to, to doing this well is actually when, when your identity is tied up in your convictions, uh, you're going to be really offended whenever someone disagrees with you. But when your identity is tied up in the fact that I'm an accepted son of God, you can disagree with me on a really big matter that I'm actually very passionate about, and I don't feel condemned because I know I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. I'm not so sensitive to your opinions, and I'm not so set on making you agree with my opinion. 
Uh, I'm set. My eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. And all this other stuff can be very big to us. Uh, Open-handed issues, politics are such a big, big thing. I can promise you Jesus died for a person and not for your political view. He died. If you're going to create this massive barrier between you and someone who has a different political view, I would say you dishonor Jesus' sacrifice because he died for that person and you want to create a barrier and he wants to bring you together. Um, And so I really, really believe that a key in this is actually coming to a knowledge of our acceptance. Apart from our convictions on on things, uh, a deep knowledge of his acceptance of me. Um, And so he carries on uh, verse 9. He says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's really challenging. We, uh, we're going to give an account of our lives. We don't, don't know exactly what that looks like. I know I'm, I'm free from condemnation in Christ, but I do have to account for what I've done with my convictions and with my life. I'm going to have to stand before God. And, and I do, uh, Alan said last time, you'll, you'll be asked the question, like, did you love me? Uh, honestly, I think when, when you come down to this, uh, our passion, our, our knowledge, and our intimate relationship with God goes into all these things. I think when, when um, we stand before him and we're going to have to give an account, is that what did we do with what we had in our hands? Did we love God and did we love those around us? Did, did we walk in earnest relationship? Not, not, did you read the message Bible? Like, oh, I don't know if we can let you in. No. Uh, did, like, what did you do with your conviction about that? Did you love people? Did you seek me out earnestly? Like, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I really feel we're going to have to give an account for. And so we spend all our lives trying to create these divisions between people. And actually, we're going to give an account for how we loved people with what we had. Um, uh, and so he speaks about judgment here. I think it's important to recognize um, that he's speaking about a judgment that brings condemnation. Um, he's not speaking about the fact that actually sometimes we'll have to rebuke, correct, the Bible speaks actually in the next next chapter, chapter 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Um, might be slightly more, more subtle, but uh, Timothy is not, not very subtle. Paul to Timothy. So it's 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Um, he says this, uh, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Um, So there's a difference between judging, where we bring condemnation on someone else, which which is what's depicted here, and when we bring conviction. I think this is so clearly seen in Jesus, uh, where there's the immoral woman brought before him uh, for stoning. She's caught in the act of adultery. Um, not not like convicted in the act, brought out, and they see this opportunity to say, well, we, we're going to purge this, per- we're going to kill them, stone them, but she has an opportunity to drag this guy. He loves people. What's he going to do? So they pull him into the conversation, and they say, 
What must we do with her? Like she's sinned. She's been caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says to stone her. And so he, he says, like, okay, yeah, who's, whoever's not sinned, they can throw the first stone. Um, and then everyone leaves slowly. Um, and he's just left there with her. Uh, and he asks her, I love Jesus. He's just like, where are your accusers? Like, where's everyone gone? Um, and then he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because Jesus' heart is never condemnation, but it is conviction. He's not, he's not saying, carry on with your life. He's saying, no, your life's wrong. Go, go and sin no more. But I don't condemn you. You didn't come here to bring. Because condemnation brings guilt and shame. The most that condemnation can do is bring a surface change of our life. We just modify our behavior. But when Christ comes to bring conviction, he wants to change our lives from the inside out. He wants to do something so much bigger than just reforming you and trying to make you into something. He wants to free you up to live a life that's completely transformed. Uh, and so judgment's important. We're not called to bring condemnation on people, but we can speak words in love and we can speak confrontationally and say, man, I don't think that's actually good. I don't think that's healthy. We can, even with our open-handed issues, actually speak with conviction and say, this is something I'm so passionate about, but it doesn't have to create a division. Satan's so desperate to create division in the family. He's so, he'll use anything. Uh, and, and we just fall into the trap every time. But Jesus' heart is not condemnation, but he will convict. And I pray he'll convict. Um, so we will give an account one day for, for how we've handled this stuff. But it carries, he carries on. He says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. I was, uh, there's a few things. So Ta, ta uh, said one thing this morning about, about an obstacle. So there's a difference between judging someone and putting an obstacle in their way. It's sometimes easy to be like, oh, yeah, we won't, won't uh, condemn. But are you actually going to effort to create a, a relationship of harmony? Like, are you, are you going ahead of the path and removing, like saying, actually, I don't want any obstacle in the way for this person. I want them to just be able to relate directly to God. Not, we're not just stopping at like, oh, don't, don't judge you. Actually, how can I make this relationship as deep and intimate despite our differences? Like, how can I go the extra step to actually create a relationship that's thriving um, because of what Christ's done? Um, and then he says, I'm convinced that there's nothing, nothing wrong with this, um, that, that no food is unclean. I was thinking of a silly example because that's what you do when you have kids. Um, is If I give Eden a fork, um, sometimes she stabs her food and that's very good and that's its use and it helps her to eat. But sometimes she tries to stab out of her eye or brush her hair with it. Um, and, and so is the fork wrong? There's... There's nothing sinful about the fork. There's nothing wrong with the fork. But what we do with it uh, is actually, there, there's a sinful condition within us. And so what we do with our convictions, what we do with that is more of an issue than the actual conviction we hold. Um, it's the same thing. So when, when I was uh, 12 years old, uh, I made a decision that I'd never 
drink alcohol. And that was my, my conviction. And, and that's a weak faith thing to do. Um, uh, and it served me really well. That was, that was a passion I had. I'd seen so much uh, damage caused by it. I'd seen family split. I'd seen, especially at that age, people just falling into all, all the wrong things. Um, and so I, I kind of, I still, I've, I've never, never done that. But it's uh, recognizing like alcohol, there's nothing wrong with drinking. The Bible speaks very clearly about drunkenness. And so we, we can, this is an open-handed issue. Like you don't don't have to, but what would be loving? So for me, I don't have a problem. There's people in my family that drink. I'm perfectly fine with that. I won't because I have a conviction about that. And that's not a conviction uh, that like I'm happy to go with people that drink. But if there's someone uh, there that's, that's got an alcoholic in the family, or if it's just a really traumatic thing for them, they've seen so much damage caused by it, what's the most loving thing to do with your freedom? Like you've got freedom, yeah, you can drink. Um, the Bible speaks about getting drunk, and that's the boundary that that I I don't want to go that close to. Um, but the Bible says you're free. But how do you handle that freedom? How how do you use it? As someone who's strong can can walk in that freedom. They can they can have a drink, not feel condemned. They can be be loving. There's no no concerns with that. But how do you do that when there's someone that does have a firm conviction? The Bible speaks about it here. It says, um, do not, let's start from verse 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. The key in, in how we handle our convictions is are we acting in love? Uh, there's, there's, uh, are we, are we, how do we, Love people because God's God's deeply concerned about how we handle people's lives. How how are we loving the people around us with with your freedom? You can either choose to walk in that freedom, and there's there's no concerns. But but if we're not acting in love, then then there's a big consideration there, uh, because actually it comes comes to the end, and it says that um, whatever's not done in faith is sin. Then end of the chapter. When, when we're not walking, if we cause someone else to not walk in their conviction and we pull them, pull them into something that, that causes their mind to feel condemned, that's not loving. And that's actually what he's addressing, is how are we acting in love as the underlying principle? How are we dealing with each other in love? Um, how are we doing for time? The screen's off. They've shut me off. Um, so verse verse 17, they're going to start turning the lights off and cutting my voice off here. Um, verse 17, I love this. I'll probably, if the band wants to come up, I'll probably just end, end here. Um, so verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual, mutual edification. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Um, God's, 
God's kingdom, his kingdom is his rule and reign. He's, he's the king over, over this thing. We want to bring kingdom culture in. Um, his kingdom's not a matter of the outward appearance, not a matter of our convictions. It's not so much about the things that we hold on to. It's far deeper than that. It's far, it's, he's far more interested in what's going on inside your heart. The righteousness, joy, and peace is both vertical and then horizontal. When, when we understand our righteousness, it's our right standing with God. God's called us into a place of right standing. He's, he's given us shalom peace, which is a wholeness. There's, there's a wholeness, uh, not just a peace of mind, but a peace in your body, in your soul. There's, there's a wholeness that comes from that relationship with Him, a deep joy. And then that same thing, that, that when we understand this vertical righteousness, this peace that He's put into me, this joy, it starts to go out. And I can actually have a right relationship with the people next to me, apart from our differences. And I can live, he says, um, on the next page. Uh, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort to do what leads to peace. There's, There's a mandate on us to live in harmony with the people around us, not to agree on everything, not to become just one person, not to never never disagree on open-handed issues, to love one another, to walk in peace, in harmony, in right relationship, because God commands a blessing on unity, not our uniformity. He commands a blessing on on us when we when we just dwelling in, in unity because our eyes are fixed on Him and joy. I think when we know these things, there there should be a deep joy in our hearts. We should be a community of joy. I think in in a place, in a culture like this, in a context like this, there's there's almost nothing more attractive than a people of joy. A community that is is deeply content in God and so joyful in what He's done. Not in in all the other things, just in Him. Um, And so I want to challenge so i wrote a few things said may we be a people who use our freedom to serve others in love who seek to build up the body in all its diversity because christ christ's a lot bigger than than us rather than making the body like us so that christ may be lifted high not us may we serve the body in all its differences so that Christ may be elevated. When we walk in pride, when we walk in in all our things, realistically, if we're trying to make the church like us, it's all about us. May May we look to Christ and may He be elevated because we want a body that represents Him, not my convictions. May I be convicted by what He wants to convict me of. May I be convicted in this body. May I see God's goodness in every different element in, in convictions that work out in a different way and giftings that are so different to mine. May I see Christ more clearly because I'm walking in a body that's not me, it's Christ. May we lift our eyes to our Lord to seek peace and harmony in the body as we look to the Prince of Peace. And may we give no room for division or bitterness to take root. Satan longs to bring division. 
You look at the church, the church stands so divided, and when you get down to the root of it, there's very little that's closed-handed. The church is so divided over things that are honestly, God's so passionate about the people and about his body, and yet we, we've allowed bitterness to, to come between. And may we live in the kingdom, not waiting for heaven, but rather bringing the kingdom down here into our cultural context, loving others and secure in the knowledge of our acceptance. Can we, can we bring kingdom culture into our cultural context, not trying to change, change every little detail in our culture, but actually saying, what are, the, what are the things that God's wanting to bring into this specific scenario, to this time? Do you know God's placed you in this country right now, in this body, in this city, and He wants to do something right here, in, in here? But we can't do that when we don't understand that He's accepted us as we are. We can't do that when we're trying to always perform for Him and gain His acceptance, gain the acceptance of the people around us, always please everyone around us. God's called us to bring the kingdom of heaven. We're not waiting to go to heaven. We're bringing God's kingdom here. He's reforming our will. Like I said, when we, true freedom is when we're able to take our will and say, it goes under yours. Your will be done. Your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. So let's, let's pray. Father, I pray, would you bring unity in the body, Father, not just this body, Father, I pray for your global body, Father, I pray for all the churches in Milton Keynes, would you speak unity, would you use us as, as peacemakers, would you use us to go out into, into this culture, Father, and speak your life and show a freedom that's not so warped, but a freedom that brings true life, a freedom that's beautiful, because it's so, it, it's got your restraints. It's within your life-giving boundaries, Dad. I pray would you help us to love each other through our differences, to not make so much of ourselves, to not um, think that, that we understand it all, but to be teachable. I pray would we sit at your feet. Would we sit at your feet and learn from you, for you are humble, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're kind. I pray would you make us like you. Yeah, Jesus, we long to be like you. I pray would we never put an obstacle in the way of the people around us. Would we never get so caught up in our passions that we let it divide us from the people around us that you have chosen, that you have called, and that you love so deeply. Yeah, Jesus, I pray we just can't, we can't do it on our own, Father. Pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and do it? Would you come and stir unity in our hearts? Would you, would you reveal our acceptance in you? Would you reveal how deeply you love us, that I'm your son who you love? With me, you're well pleased, Dad. Before I've done anything, before I can offer anything, you love me, Dad. I pray, would you show us your love?